Hello and welcome to the Island Stories podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Hadfield. Two years ago, I came back to the island looking for a sanctuary. When things got really tough, I came home. Which got me thinking, each and every one of us living here has an island story. And each of my guests is someone with an extraordinary story to tell. This podcast is brought to you with Spence Willard, estate agents selling and letting some of the finest coastal and country property across the island. Each episode, we will be showcasing their property of the week. So stay tuned for that later in the podcast. Let me introduce this week's guest, Alan Marriott, editor of the Isle of Wight County Press. He's worked at the paper for a massive 37 years, holding the position of editor or publisher since 2007. So there's not much he doesn't know about news on this island, and I'm looking forward to finding out more. Hi, Alan. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Hi, Harriet. Thanks for inviting me along. Well, the first question we always ask very simply, why the island? I'm not going to lie, it was a more of a job choice than a lifestyle choice at that time. I was working as a reporter in my native Chester on the local weekly paper and I saw the job advertisers of sports editor of the Isle of Wight County Press. It was the sort of step up that I wanted in, the, in my career. So I applied for it, got the job and here I am today. And that was really 37 years ago, you've been here that long? Yes, my initial plan was to be here about three years get some experience on a weekly paper, move on to daily papers, Fleet Street as it was then, and the world was going to be my oyster. But the Isle of Wight intervened. The Isle of Wight became your oyster. It did, yeah. (laughs) I met my wife, who was a reporter on the paper then. She's an Isle of Wight girl, never going to move off. We had children. We've built our life here. I love it here. I've progressed in a different way on the Isle of Wight County Press. And that's really how life took me. And what's life like here living on the island? Well, it could be tougher, couldn't it? (laughs) It's a beautiful place to live. It has its frustrations, but I love it here. I was brought up in a small city, but never saw the sea from one summer holiday to the next. Now I'm 15 minutes drive away from the beautiful beaches of the Isle of Wight and loving it, loving my sport, my cricket, my football, my working life. Not a bad gig. How much do you think of yourself as an islander now? People tell me you'll never be one unless you're fourth generation or something like that. But I do think of myself as an islander and I care deeply about the place. Um, I care about its prosperity, its future. I've seen my kids go to school here. Two of the three have jobs here. They're facing the challenge of getting on housing ladder here. So there's lots of reasons to really care about the place. And so, yeah, I do think of myself as an islander. How much has it changed? I mean, you obviously are so close to the island's news agenda and what's going on on a day-to-day basis. But if you can just cast your mind back to when you arrived to now, what, what has really changed, do you think? And for the better? I think it's caught up the mainland quite a lot. People used to say it was like Britain in the 50s. I think it's not that anymore. I think it's got a very modern agenda and, and the the way of the world now with digital technology means, you know, people can do all sorts of wonderful things from the Isle of Wight that they wouldn't have been able to have done in the 1980s when I arrived. And when you say, you know, people say you've got to be fourth generation to be an islander, and I've grown up with the same thing, but I do feel like that's changing now. I feel like families can move down here and within a few years they can feel like islanders, and that's important. It is, and I think it's a two-way street. You know, you have to buy into the ethos, want of a better word, of the Isle of Wight. You've got to love it. 
So when you arrived here 37 years ago, what did you think? Funny story, the first time I sort of set foot off the ferry, and I think the first full day I was here, I, I got in my car and had a little drive round, and I went to this place called Cows, which I'd heard so much about in the sailing fraternity, and then I thought, I can't see a lot of boats or anything. And I, it turned out I was in East Cows, <laughs> and I was sort of seeing the industrial part of East Cows rather than the the yachty bit of cows. So... Um, I quickly came to to really really like the place and and everybody made me feel so welcome I particularly the the team at the county press involved me in their cricket team and social nights out and things like that and and I certainly I felt never felt lonely and I never felt an outsider It was a very different team wasn't it on the county press then we've just been looking at some old photos because we're recording the interview in the county press offices, which now do feel a bit empty, don't they? Because there used to be so many more people working here. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and I think it's the way of newspapers and media organisations around the world is that we're all existing with much smaller teams these days. Um, but we've got a very dedicated small team of, of journalists here and you know our advertising staff are working from the offices as well. We have also have Matrix Create working from our offices. So we've got you know, 20, 25 people working out of, of, of this building and still doing a, a great job. But COVID has changed the way of working as well. Yeah, we, we're Zoom calling all sorts of things. We're on Microsoft Teams more often than we'd like to be, but we're getting back to normality now. We're getting out and about, meeting people. One of the things I found as a journalist that was so difficult in COVID was, was kind of what you just said, was not being able to get out there and meet people and talk to people and kind of look into their eyes to get their story. Is that something you're really welcoming now that you, you can be back out on the road? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm sort of openly welcoming any invitations I get, you know, to go to things at the moment. And it, it is lovely to be out and, and talking to people, you know, whether they be local politicians, people in the community, sports people, whatever it is, it's just nice to be able to, to be out and about. That's something we've really missed over the last couple of years. And very difficult as well to, to do that very important work of a journalist, which is holding organisations to account if you can't actually physically go there or go and see people? Yeah, it's nice to look into the whites of their eyes. <laughs> um, but uh, I think we've managed to sort of fire the wonders of modern technology and things to interview people, you know, email them, get get all the relative, relevant information in a COVID society. It's without doubt better to do it face to face. While we're on the subject, I did want to ask you about COVID because I know you've been doing this for a very, very long time, but I did wonder whether COVID is in fact the biggest story the island's ever had, in a way. I think it's the biggest story in my career. I suppose the only thing that ever came anything near to it when I was back up in Chester was covering the Falklands War, which was not not from anywhere near the, the conflict, but uh, just the, the local stories of, of Chester people who had been involved in, in that. But yes, COVID's a the biggest story and the, and the most dramatic year or 18 months, two years, trying to get those stories across, whether it be the statistics, the the human stories around people, you know, sadly dying, people recovering, people, even to the fact that our own sports editor, John, John Moreno, was in hospital here for a week telling his own story from his own 
his hospital bed of of how he was suffering with it and he was in a very bad way you know and that was a you know really tough thing to to see you know a, a friend and colleague who was really suffering with it and you know thankfully he came out the other side and it was really brought it home to you what what this meant to people I think as a news story, what always struck me about COVID was it was that very rare thing where it was an international story, a national story, and also at its heart, a very, very local story. Another story um, that strikes me as, as, you know, a big story for the island and also potentially quite divisive is the European Union referendum, because we were, of course, a massively Brexit supporting island. It must have been a story that you covered it was one to really cover through opinions, really, rather than the, the paper itself taking a, a stance on it. Nonetheless, we, we recognise that a lot of our readers, you know, were Brexiteers. And, and so we gave them the voice to say that in the letters pages, and columns, etc. And the contrary opinions to it as well. So it was a huge moment in time, as the last five years seems to have been, you know, whether it be... Covid, Brexit, or you, you know, sadly now Ukraine. You know, is there a sort of independent streak that runs through Islanders? Yeah, I think people want to feel that they are being listened to, and I think you know, heaven help anybody who decides to be a, a politician or a councillor here. It's very hard to you know, because you'll never please all the people all the time, and the sense of community is is a double edged sword, if you like, because I think people do really want you to listen to their opinions and there's there may be an apathy in towns and cities across the country about things but you don't find it here and whether it be ferry issues dog poo bins whatever it would be there are strong opinions yeah i think that's that's definitely true just talking about big stories that you've covered political scandals on the island any favorites anything that springs to mind well i suppose mr seeley's um Sausage Gate was a was a, a good one, and we were privileged to break that story. Although we didn't have the line about the half a sausage, but it that was came a, later. Yeah, I think we've got to give fair play to our colleagues at Isle of Wight Radio who got the uh, got that line, which was a, a, the the line that sticks with everybody. Uh, but we we ran the story first that he'd admitted to being at the party. How did you break it? How did you come across the information? Well, we ha- we heard word of it one Thursday afternoon just after we'd gone to press, but I managed to get uh, the story written and online pretty quickly um, before anybody else could get to it. I don't think others were far behind, but uh, it was nice to, nice to get that get, it, get that out there. As you probably know by now, I'm pretty obsessed with property. And having Spence Willard as our sponsor means I get to nosy around some of the most amazing houses on the island. And I've often wondered what it would be like to live in a church. Well, our property of the week is just that. An old church and Sunday school in the heart of Yarmouth, converted into two fabulous self-contained homes with a total of five bedrooms. With beautiful light and many of the original features, that stained glass windows, exposed beams and vaulted ceilings. Worth a look. To find out more about this property or any others, do contact our sponsors, Spence Willard. All of their details can be found in the show notes. There's quite a vibrant local news scene now on the island. I mean, what do you think of some of your competitors? I'm thinking of things like Island Echo, for example, who are quite vociferous in their criticism of the county press. So I just wondered if you wanted to take the opportunity to say anything oh yeah i'm very happy to say something about it i mean i you know i got 
great admiration for all my competitors and they do a great job in many different ways i mean the thing that is quite hard to stomach sometimes is the criticism that we're a multinational company and we're owned from america whatever because at the end of the day we we employ more people than any other media on the island based here on in newport we're all very island centric people most of my team went to school here they love the island and you know do their very best to give Islanders are a fantastic um, media diet, for want of a better, better word. I wonder if we should give it some context then, because what you've just alluded to is that the county press used to be independently owned and is now owned uh, by MuseQuest. That's been since 2017, I think. Correct, yeah. So all of this has happened whilst you've been either editor or publisher of the paper. So you've been grappling with this change. I mean, how would you say, say that the MuseQuest change has actually changed things for the county press? Well, I think, first of all, it's worth worth saying that, as has been evidenced throughout the country, that the small independent weekly newspaper is an endangered beast because it just doesn't stack up financially anymore. So the financial clout of, of, a, of a group such as NewsQuest has been probably, in the long term, the saviour of, 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 a, of a media organisation such as the County Press. Without doubt, we we're dealing with few, having fewer resources than we did, but I'm sure if we'd stayed in independent ownership, we wouldn't have been able to sustain what we what we had then. What we do gain is the central teams and and support we get from all sorts of systems, IT situations, um, expertise in digital. That is, you know, gives my journalists a, a great fillip in terms of their knowledge. And wisdom on you know whether it's search engine optimization or um, social media and things we get lots of intelligence and and information on that uh, we're global partners of Facebook and Google so we get we get a lot of help on that those just looking at some of the history of it so you know the website was launched back in 1999 which seems like quite a long time ago but of course it's changed so much um, the newspaper was a broadsheet until 2008, where it went compact, I think, to some controversy even then. Um, but now, if you had to say which takes precedent, the paper edition or the website edition, or of course, social media as well, what would you say? That's a really good question. Um, we we do, I say we still give equal pro- prominence to paper and digital um social media sort of follows that really in in case so you can't have the social media presence without the the content you get for from the website or the paper so particularly the website but we are more and more aware of you know our digital audience and we work you know 24 well not 24 7 that would be wrong to say that was 16 hours a day certainly seven days a week we have reporters putting stories on our website. More than a thousand stories a month go on our website. It, it is the future, without doubt. It'd be stupid to deny it. But the the County Press is still the best-selling weekly paper in the country. Um, that shouldn't be forgotten. Um, and we are trying to keep it as vibrant and as relevant as it possibly can because it's it, it's a part of my my. It's in my blood. You know, it's say thirty-seven years of 
producing editions of the county press doesn't uh, doesn't go away overnight. Alan, you're getting quite emotional about it. Is that it's really important to you? It is important to me. Yeah, I mean, I you know I'm coming towards the tail end of my working no, career don't now. Say it. No, don't um, But but you know I, I'm not going to make any grand announcements here. <laughs> that, well, this would be a good space if you wanted to. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm still here and uh, still good. still enjoying it, still loving it, but. Uh, but, you know, the media landscape is changing and we know that. But it's just a question of keeping both things running because we know a lot of our readers love it. You know, I speak to the WI a couple of weeks ago. They have their very strong opinions on what should be or not be in the paper. You know, and they love it. I mean, it's interesting you talk about, you know, the Women's Institute and how important um, the paper is to them. And that's a certain demographic, but it is actually a demographic of this island so perhaps that's why something like the county press has such longevity here maybe compared to other parts of the the country i think so there is that double whammy of um an older population demographic and there is also the sense of community and things like the women's institute really demonstrate that that community it's not a massive difference to in demographic that people think it is it's only a couple of percent more. So it's, you know, we probably overplay that a little bit, but in terms of the community feel to the Isle of Wight, I think it, it must be at the very highest end of, of what people would expect from, uh, to see uh, in terms of community feel throughout the UK. Do you think you still have that brand recognition as well because you have the physical paper? It's a bit like a broadcaster who may say actually online is more important, but we need the TV channel just to get the access. Does that count, do you think, still by having the paper it gives more weight? I think so. I mean, I think we're using the the very old English um, masthead of the county press, even on our website, shows that, that we, you know, it, it, it's such a recognisable brand. And I say sometimes that you don't even need to read be able to read the the words it, just the actual physical logo of it will engender that feeling that it is county press what are the big stories coming up that you're planning for what are you, what have you got in the diary that you're looking towards now well the thing in 2022 is expect the unexpected isn't it because you just <laughs> don't know what's coming down the road at the moment but i i guess Planning for the island's future is is a is a massive thing. The island plans being worked out now, so we, where housing will go, where it won't go, hugely divisive on the island. That is regeneration of the Isle of Wight. Generally, has always been at the forefront of people's plans, and that is still ongoing. And you know, I think islanders quite rightly expect to see a little bit more happening um we get a lot of talk about it but we don't see a lot of a lot of results i know money's been given to east cows now for a lot of work to be going in east cows um there's plans for the waterfront in newport uh plans for sand down to regenerate sand down but we'd just like to see some some concrete and and some nice buildings going up and it's to start looking as if something's happening. And politically, I mean, it must really keep you on your toes at the moment because we've got a coalition in charge of the council. We're getting two MPs, which will be a big change for the island. So there must be lots and lots of politics to keep across. Of course, yeah. Um, the council's very tight for numbers, so 
who knows what will happen with that. Um, the Alliance group are, you know, are, are holding sway at the moment and, and they're doing, you know, a good job in difficult circumstances. You know, it's never easy for a, a, a leading, a council leading group to make sure that they can please all the people all the time, particularly with the economic situation. But the two MPs situation will, will be very interesting to see where, where that goes. Um, we've still got to decide exactly where the split is going to be, but you wouldn't bet against it turning into two conservative seats again. What if it but, wasn't? What if it was two different parties? I know it's something that you know, people say they worry about. Do you worry about that or do you think it just makes things a bit spicier? As a journalist, I'd love that. <laughs> be, you know, the, the two MPs knocking lumps out of each other would be great. Yeah, but uh, No, I, I think... Um, I'm, I'm sure that whoever became the two MPs would have to work together for the greater good of the Isle of Wight and they couldn't be facing off Isle of Wight East against Isle of Wight West because that would be disastrous and I think this would, that would be the time when a newspaper like the County Press would be yeah. saying, oi, stop it. Well, I like to think that it means we get more sway in Westminster as well and maybe we can get a bit more money out of government, a bit more uh, investment in the island because we'd have two MPs up there arguing the case. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's strength in numbers, isn't there? And and, and it's just, particularly if, a, if one of the seats is a little bit marginal, that always tends to uh, work quite well with government, doesn't it? Yeah. Rather than a safe Tory seat, which this has been for quite a few years now. I want to go back then to life before living on the Isle of Wight, which I think you're one of my guests where that almost seems inconceivable. All I really know, Alan, about you before the island was that you were educated in Chester and you worked in Chester. What was life like before you came here? Well, I was, as you say, that that was really it. I was a you know a, a comprehensive schoolboy who uh, didn't do very well at school. Um, went to work for my local newspaper, doing work experience every summer um, during my sixth form years, which I you know I, I just fell in love with journalism at that point. Um, they were great to me, um, so kind and, and welcoming and, and just gave me every incentive to, to get involved. And they eventually gave me, well, kept battering at their door. They gave me a job when I was 18 and I did my training there. I, I became a different person when I moved here. I started to love things that I, I'd never really um, thought of when I was living in a city. So I was all about going to football matches and gigs and um, nights out, you know, a young man's joy, you know. But but when I moved here, I, I sort of started to appreciate countryside living, you know, and nature and all the things that stayed with me all those for all those years. Not that I don't still enjoy a gig or a football match. Have any of your wider family from the north come down to the island? Have any of them settled down here? Or are you sort of starting your family clan down here on your side? No, definitely. My, my, I only have my sister uh, alive now. and My sister still lives in, up in Chester area. Um, so they've not, they come down to visit me quite regularly and they love it here. Um, they see why we live here. I had a, an old school friend come and visit me a few years ago and I took him up Tennyson Down for a walk. And he said, I can see why you live here now. It is, you know, it's one of these things, hidden gems of the, of the UK, isn't it? Until you actually know it, you don't appreciate how good it is. I mean, we are so lucky, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to be here. Um, just as I always do, I've asked 
other people what they think about you, um, which is which has really been quite interesting and what questions they might want to ask you as well. Um, one very politically active person who I'm not allowed to name, but he said, which I thought was nice, he's not afraid to upset those in power by asking difficult questions, as reflected in the fact that he's faced challenge and criticism from elected, elected representatives from all parties. He's a good old-fashioned journalist with an eye for a newsworthy story. That sounds like quite a nice um, thing to, to have said about you. I would live with that as an epitaph, yes. Thank you very much. Whoever I didn't said want to that, say I would... epitaph. I was no, going to leave no, that to no, you. No, no, uh, that no. That's a wonderful thing to say. And, and I, you know, I would... I always think to myself, you know, the old... Um, I think it's John Pilger said it. Why is this bastard lying to me? <laughs> um, you, you have to think like that as a journalist. I do, you know, it is a... a, a it's a bit harsh, but um, you, you, if you think like that, you're never going to be far away from... And uncovering what they really after. Yeah, how difficult is it? Do you think, especially now? I know, I know from my work, whatever you do, you get accused of bias. How difficult is that for you? You know, someone who I think, from everyone I've spoken to, has a great amount of integrity as a journalist, but you must still get that criticism. Of course, we always do. We're always a Tory rag. We always get called a Tory rag. Are you a Tory rag? <laughs> Absolutely not. And I think if you spoke to uh, many leading Tories on the island, they would deny that. Um, but, you know, my, my answer to them is always to be able to send a load of links to stories that we've done that prove my point that we're not biased against them or biased towards them. Um, and, and I want to look myself in the eye in the mirror and say, no, you, you're not. And I, and I always think I, I feel like that. And if any member of the Green Party or Labour or the Lib Dems or the Tories say you're against us, so I can evidence that we're not. You've always been quite outspoken, um, you know, about sort of how important journalism is and protecting journalism. And one of the things that have come up really recently in, I hate any kind of gate, but it's been called the Golly Gate scandal we won't get into it on the podcast but it's a it's a accusation of um racism or, or owning something racist for the leader of the current council but what happened was you were excluded from a statement i think from the council um what i'm really interested in is that you felt compelled to write in um more of a publication for journalists, but but saying, you know, this is evidence of how trusted local journalism is worth protecting in a storm of disinformation, lies and propaganda. Is this something you're coming, not to the end of your career, but you definitely, in the sort of elongated swan song, is this something you feel quite passionately about now? I like the idea of an elongated swan song. <laughs> um, yes. Um, yeah, I do feel very passionately about it. And I... I I let the powers that be who were behind that know in no uncertain terms how I felt about it. I just don't think it sits well with with a, an, an administration that prides itself on transparency, etc. And I, I thought it was a really shabby way to behave. Um, nobody gave it got any pleasure out of that story, particularly because you know I'd got a lot of time for the leader of the council. I think she's a great ambassador for the Isle of Wight for cows and for the whole island um, but I had to you know have my say on that because I thought it was an appalling way to behave. Alan finally on every episode we ask all of our guests a quick fire round five things about the island so 
Are you ready for yours? I'm ready to go. Okay. In at number one, your favourite place to eat or grab a coffee on the island? Blacksmith's Arms. Oh, okay. Not one I've heard of. Where is that? That's just outside Carisbrook, where I live. Um, lovely views over to the mainland. Beautiful food. Um, a nice, a nice pint in there. It's a, lo- it's a lovely location. Best place for a walk, swim, or a meditation. But I don't know if you're a meditator. I'm not a meditator, but I, I'm, I, I do like to to walk and think on my own. Sometimes just take the dog out. My Labradoodle Wilf and I go for a stroll sometimes. So best place for that? Compton Bay, I think. Oh, what a great answer. Yeah, of course. Number three, favourite island activity? Cricket, I think. Cricket where? I play at Porchfield Cricket Club for a club called Island Bakery CC, which was formerly the works team of the the bakery at Binstead. Um, But I've played more than 300 games for them over many years now. Are you any good? I think I'd let my my uh, teammates tell you that, but uh, <laughs> I actually won my first trophy as a cricket outdoor trophy as a cricketer last season, playing playing for another team for Carisbrook High School Old Boys. So, uh, I, but I do love my cricket. Now, this is a question I think you're going to find really, really hard um, because you've been involved with so many different things and different campaigns for the newspaper itself as well. But which island charity is closest to your heart? That is a hard one because they are all brilliant charity on the island but I think you'd have to say uh, my family's been affected by it and um, they've done a great job for us um, and a former colleague here was was in the in the hospice so I'd have to say Mountbatten. A very very popular island charity. Yes yeah. Yeah for, for, for very good reason. Uh, okay in at number five our final question what do you love most about this island of ours? The community. I would have to say the community. Thank you. It's been amazing to get to know you better and hear your island story. Big thank you to Spence Willard, estate agent selling and letting some of the finest coastal and country properties across the island for helping us bring you this podcast. I'm Harriet Hadfield. My producer is Alex Warren and you'll find us on Instagram at Island Stories Podcast. Please do tune in next week for more Island Stories.